I've been kind of curious about experimenting with AI the way that a showrunner runs a writer's room, right? Really, creativity plus productivity is, is kind of where I see my intersection. I'm hoping what they do is, is really make or encourage students to write more personal stories. I think that's one way to bypass some of that obvious stuff. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Berredith. And my name's Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to lift the veil on creativity in work and beyond through the lens of ideas, stories and visual cognition. And today's guest is Brock Swinson. He is a filmmaker, screenwriter, podcaster, writer and many other things from North Carolina in the States. And so stand by to learn loads, not just about creativity. I mean, he said writer's block is bullshit, but also about productivity. His output as a podcaster, as a screenwriter, as a teacher is phenomenal. Let's get him in. Brock Swinson, welcome to the Crop and Crowner podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Brock, really pleased to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brock, can we start off with you giving us a bit of a... I suppose a summary of the key moments in your life uh, or career that have got to where you are now. Yeah, it's a little all over the place. I mean, I, I studied film in college, and then I got to my last day of college, and I, the teacher said something like, okay, you'll go out there, you got a 1% chance to get published. You do that a dozen times, you might be a professor. I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. It's like terrible advice. Uh, so what I did instead is I kind of went into freelance. I got on what was D-Lance at the time. Now it's called Upwork. Um, I also moved to Oregon. I moved around. I'm from North Carolina. I originally lived in LA for a bit. So I went and did some actual commercial work, driving trucks, doing some editing, everything I could kind of get my hands on. Did some some weird TV shows like the Guest Book of Records. So I got to see five people try to break records every day and interesting stuff like that. Um, I think, ironically, if I, I, I thought more about the hindsight of it all recently, some of the weirdest jobs I took, like I applied to a job on Craigslist, and that ended up getting me on creative screenwriting. So I ended up interviewing like some of the most famous screenwriters of all time through a Craigslist ad. And I took a, like a $10 an article job writing about the TV show The Walking Dead. And then that referred me to a job at ClickFunnels where I wrote marketing and learned, learned marketing from people like Russell Brunson and Tony Robbins and some of the biggest names out there. So some of the weirdest little paths that I kind of just followed my curiosity, maybe instead of the money, kind of led me to the money. And and now I'm really interested in like all things, really creativity plus productivity is is kind of where I see my intersection. And, and bro, what interests you, Paul and I are f- obsessed with that topic, of, but what, what interests you about all things creativity? I think I've always, you know, been creative, been told I was creative and some of that stuff, but it, it wasn't, it, it seemed like this fictional muse type thing that wasn't really real. So I was more interested in like, well, how can you lean in and out of this? If this is a muse, how do you make the muse come more often? And that comes usually comes down to environment and habits. And after I, I've interviewed probably 400, over 400 writers now and actors and directors on my show and a lot of them have kind of similar advice and that's kind of what led to the book that I wrote, uh, Ink by the Barrel, the ideas. It's called Secrets from Prolific Writers, Ink by the Barrel. It comes from an old expression, don't quarrel with the man who buys a ink by the barrel. 
But I wanted to kind of spin it on its head a little bit and, and <laughs> encourage you to be the person who, who buys your ink by the barrel and really just think about longevity. I guess the underlying of all that is that I really think you find quality through quantity. So the more you kind of churn out, the better you'll get. And then you get a little bit, you get less precious. All these other things kind of happen beneath the surface too, but that's what really seems to make the the true, you know, aside from like 10 guys in history, J.D. Sollinger, Aaron Sorkin, some of those guys, for the rest of us, this stuff pretty much works, you know, more, a little bit more mathematical than you might think. That, that, so I think why is it, creativity's got a mathematical formula to it, is kind of what you're saying, which is a lovely insight. Um, I'm trying to work out why that would be that, that doing, basically doing lots, the more you do it, and there's the, the old idea of 10,000 hours yeah. and so on, but yeah. you, you get to a point of, expertise by just putting in the hard yards uh, i'm guessing this applies to writing as well as painting and photography and acting and paint, whatever it might be whatever creative pursuit what what is it about that repetition that that discipline that that helps do you think i think it's more of just it's all the things you're not doing right so everybody talk like let's I, I, sometimes i'll do a parallel like going on a diet or working out look at all the things you're not doing you're not eating processed food you're not just sitting on the couch right so when you think about scheduling times for write every day, you're not going to be the type of person who's just wishy-washy about ideas. I mean, I, I was definitely that guy as a, as a kid and, you know, through college even, like, uh, I think I wrote one script in college and I carried it around in my head for four years. And, you know, just with a to-do list, you can't carry eight things in your head. You want to start to write them down, get them out of your head, and then go deeper and expand upon them. And I think really that's what you're doing. You're setting up an environment you know, for possibly the muse to come, but it's more of just setting a situation to actually do the work and then also all the things you're not doing just because you're actually sitting there and working. Actually, we had a guest on the other day, uh, Nick Jaffe from Tasmania, and he had a thing and he said, he said it's, uh, he talks about doing something on a whim. And uh, we said, yeah. you know, he said, is it okay to do something on a whim? And he said, yeah, as long as you follow through. So, which, which is what you're saying. Yeah. It's you know, look, I'd never heard that term, uh, ink by the barrel, and never uh, like I, I, yeah. I love that idea. And I, I know someone, I picked a fight with somebody that bought the ink, ink by the barrel, and uh, and that's a, that's a fight you'll never win. So, um, so I, I'm really interested. And look, we we've spoken to a lot of people about creativity as you have, and I'm I'm really interested in this thing about you know that you unpacking about productivity because um, it's becoming more and more. A part of the theme you know it's not just about ideas you know it's not just about you know thinking about something it's actually about doing something so in terms of um say the guests that you've interviewed this you know over 400 of them uh any standouts in that thing about you know getting stuff done uh productivity i've really tried to to kind of do a variety and and like a lot of people will go to my biggest hits i've interviewed ethan hawk and aaron sorkin and mel brooke to these giant names and almost like they're too big to give you real advice which is kind of ironic like you need if you want to be a movie writer you need to go listen to the guy who just broke into the industry he's going to give you the most advice about what's going on today and some of that but i think productivity is just really I don't know. I've almost learned more from people like Tim Ferriss about it. I think it's more of just like sitting that situational block up, like I said, the environment, the habits. It's really the boring things and also incorporating rest. That's a big one. Like I think when I was there too, I would take these freelance jobs and I might write 10,000 words on a Monday. 
but then I was burned out for four or five days. So the the best people, you know, I'll, I'll ask new people breaking advice. I'll ask older kind of veteran writers longevity advice. And it's always kind of a, a combination of the two. They, they seem to be working on three to five projects at a time that allows them to kind of move and, you know, I have a chapter in my book called Writer's Block is Bullshit. I don't believe in Writer's Block. If you talk to enough, you know, screenwriters who have deadlines and all these different things, there's no such thing. Um, so I think really just like setting that that time up and putting in the work and um, you're going to just kind of move along that way with productivity. Yeah, actually that is a comment. We had a someone who was the producer for Big Brother uh, here in the UK mm. and she just said about the writing, she says, you know, Writer's Block, you know, yeah, great. The show starts in the, two hours. <laughs> Brooke, you might remember. You might remember who said there's a famous quote that that says, "Yeah, I only write when inspiration strikes. It's just lucky that it strikes at nine o'clock each morning." <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I forget. I, I should know who said that, but yeah, yeah. And it is it is harder. Like it's it's kind of hard to do your own. Like it's one thing to have. Um, deadlines and accountability from outside perspectives i do encourage people to go find like jobs on freelance sites if you can't seem to you know keep those promises to yourself but there's a good metaphor about the show here starting out live it's like it looks like everybody's kind of just screwing around all week but there's a show every saturday like somehow they get 10 or 15 scripts written and shot and filmed and everything else so if you can kind of impose that on your own, it might be that you're just writing an email to your followers or writing a blog once a week. Or, you know, I really, I just did this uh, 30 day prolific challenge with, I have about a thousand students I'm kind of teaching to be prolific. And the whole idea is just to take, they got a little video training for me every day. It was like two to 10 minutes. Then I'll show them a clip from an interview that I did. But the whole goal was not to make it crazy, like set it really attainable. Just try to write, you know, 20 minutes a day or something like that. If you've never done that before, um, I really would say focus on time rather than like word count because word count is daunting. Whatever you can take away more of the friction for yourself, you can just start to develop those habits. And then so many people that have never done anything before. I, I did a couple of like one-on-ones with people. And like this one woman learned how to, she went from poetry to short stories. I had a girl at high school, finish a book. Now she's writing a movie and just like taking 30 days to make a little tiny habit. And it really chips away. This, this, I'm sure James Clear would approve. I don't know if you're familiar with his book. It's called Habits. Um, Yeah. uh, Which is, which is, it's, it's, it's don't set a goal to lose 10 stone and weight or whatever. Set a goal to adopt a healthy lifestyle and and it's more about your the way you define yourself than it is than that so that sounds very familiar with that uh, i'm one when in your intro you talked about curiosity kind of taking you to the money so those things you kind of didn't expect to deliver something yeah. leading to something much more interesting and I, I wanted to talk about how you balance that idea which is a classic creative habit look at this and what about other um with this idea of the discipline, the te- um, the the um, quantity, not quality, the the frameworks that we. So, how do you know how and when to pursue something that looks just interesting, and how and when to stick yeah. to what your plan is? That's a question I ask a lot of people, and especially those. Uh, so, so for those that are not familiar, the, there's a couple of different types of screenwriters. Sometimes a studio will approach you and they'll give you an idea. That's normally where you see Transformers 4 or whatever the big blockbuster is. But then just as many, really the best movies you see are probably spec scripts, which just means they sit at home and spend the time to write 120 pages on their own because they believe in that idea. Um, 
you, I like to ask those people, like, I'm sure you've got more than one idea. How do you kind of, how do you narrow down that path? And it's usually something like intangible. It's almost like an obsession, right? Someone told me it's like having a splinter in your eye. Like no matter what's happening outside or anywhere else, you're obsessed with this, this idea. There's a hook in you to go follow this thing. Like logistically, what I'll do is write a bunch of these little ideas out in my phone just so I don't like completely lose them or forget them. And then almost as a combination, like, does it stick with me for a period of time? Am I truly like obsessed with this idea? Like some of the scripts that I've written, um, I wrote one in college about a, a guy who was a pickpocket traveling from college to college. And he was kind of like, and that was very what I was obsessed with that. I like the idea of school, but I didn't like that you had to pay to go to it. It, it was kind of an underlying theme of that story. And later I kind of got obsessed with 1920s North Carolina, where I'm from, um, boot shine and mask, boot shine and, um, or moonshine and all that kind of stuff, bootlegging that yeah, to NASCAR. So I wrote a story about that. It's just like something like, right. I found myself reading like book after book about some subject. And usually it's more of a theme than a plot. And, and like what that, I mean, that's hopefully pretty standard, but if people are not familiar with that plot for the big hooks and those will kind of come and go. And, but some of the, like, like parasite won an Oscar a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, the director of that was obsessed with class warfare for 10 films in a row and then like, or whatever it was and his, his 10th film won the Oscar, but he's been obsessed with that theme his entire life. So I'm, I'm personally very obsessed with with certain themes, and that's what makes me write movies. And almost no matter what I do, I'll end up writing a movie about these certain handful of themes around some of that stuff. So that's it's very interesting. That so you're kind of saying celebrate, embrace your obsessions, kind of yeah. follow in them, pursue them with vigor. I, I love that thought because um, it, it answers the question so beautifully, which is you know how do you know when to, when to kind of flip off to something curious you'll say no no you'll feel it you'll feel something that you and only you want to explore so go yeah. there um yeah what a wonderful reference uh, that um that film that won the oscar and yeah. i didn't know that 10 films in a row about class of warfare yeah pretty much like snowpiercer he did several in a row i, I just worked with uh, one of my students i talked about was wanted to move from poetry to short stories couldn't wrap her hand around it. She loved the idea that she could write a poem in about 20 minutes. So I kind of encouraged her to follow the theme. I said, why don't you write 10 poems around one theme and then pick out the pieces you like, and then you'll start to see some tent poles, and that's where your short story will come from. So you can go a, a method that you're familiar with to get to something you're unfamiliar with was kind of what I was encouraged her to do. Ugh, I love that, the tent poles. That's uh, what's the other. Yeah. But I was really interested in this thing of the courses that you run and you do this 30-day challenge. You know, what, what is it, you know, what, what, what's your advice to, you know, someone listening to our podcast? You know, they say, oh, I'm not a writer. And, and I was that person. Um, and I, I, I found out I could write by accident because someone asked me to write a piece and I was horrified. So let's go, I've got an editor, just write it. And then editor could work with it. Two days later, I did it. And the guy around me said, love your piece. And I was like, my, my God, you can't have read it. Like, you know, it was supposed to be edited, you know. So it's a little bit of a thing of, you know, jumping in and just doing it. But what, what advice would you give to somebody if they're listening and saying, yeah, like I, I secretly always wanted to be a writer, but, you know, I, I don't think I could ever do it. What would be one thing that you would say? Yeah, there's like almost too many different paths to give too much logistic advice. One thing I would say that I talk about in my book is to separate the writer from the editor. And what I mean is like your own editor. You really have to, like, some people do a continuous flow. They literally write as fast as they can by hand, and they just take them out of time, and they write about it. 
And it's like a lot of junk will come out of that, but then maybe 10% of it might be valuable. Um, we talked a little bit, I think I, I listened to a couple episodes. You guys talk a lot about AI. I've been kind of curious about experimenting with AI the way that a showrunner runs a writer's room, right? So you're pitch, I pitch ideas to AI to see what it spits back to me. And I'm kind of working back and forth to see which way it goes. I don't really do it with books. I don't do it with screenplays, but I'll do it with an ad idea because I write ad copy. And I mean, that stuff's pretty standard. I think you can't really get to the heart of something with AI, but it's more of like a, a, a cheap or free writer's assistant you can kind of start with to get off the blank page. And then, then you kind of hit the ground running after you're done with the blank page. So using AI as a kind of sounding board, saying, hey, how about this? And what about that? And AI is going, oh, that's a rubbish, but you're onto something with <laughs> Yeah, it's more, it's just like the way you talk to it, right? So the funny thing is, we're my, I have a writing partner for screenplay. So I write my books by myself. But I write Now I write screenplays with a partner. That kind of moves things along faster. I notice a lot of people, like, you're always a draft ahead because you're working with somebody. So we spent a couple of hours talking about some ideas. We had this, we have a loose idea we're doing now that it's basically like the, uh, it, like let's say Casablanca took place in the 1960s in Miami. And rather than attention being Nazis, attention is something like Jack the Ripper. So we're starting this like serial killer type story, right? So we went back and forth. We dug really deep. I was like, hey, let me show you this thing that I just got on like chat GPT. And we, we put in all of these same prompts that we went through together. And I think we at the very end, we might have said something like, now, okay, make him the solid Tarantino. And after like, I don't know, eight or 10 questions today, I came up with something pretty close to what we came out with, which is kind of crazy. And even like, mm-hmm. and it maybe went over the top more. I think we, we naturally hold back a little bit more. So we kind of found a balance between the two, but it was more about like, are our intuitions right about this as opposed to like letting it do the work for us? It's more like confirming like what's already out there. So, so I mean, since you, you mentioned AI, um, if we'd love to hear a bit more about that, uh, everyone is talking about the impact of AI on creators and particularly at the moment in the States, there is a screenwriter's strike, if I understand it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so we, we were at this really interest, interesting, I hope that's the right word, kind of, this moment where the screenwriters are saying, hey, we deserve better pay for what we've got. And in the background is a piece of technology which potentially could do their jobs for them or maybe your top job for you. Um, I, I guess, first of all, what, how do you feel about AI? Is it, is it, does it feel like a big threat? You, you're obviously using it very closely. Does it feel like something that you, we can harness? What what is your relationship with AI, if I can put it that way? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I basically just use it kind of the way I mentioned. Um, I had a, I worked with this big investor named Pace Morby. He started to kind of experiment with it a little bit. He was talking about it. So I've always kind of just like ignored it. Like, okay, yeah, it's not that great. This thing's pretty solid, especially around like marketing stuff. And the thing is, though, it's like it all, all it can do. I mean, this is a great, a great deal, but I look at it more like an intern. It can. It can do the best research you've ever seen. It can answer these questions. It can mimic people and everything else. But there's something not quite there, right? So I, I kind of like I like to cook a lot, right? And I think it can like they're using machines to do McDonald's, and I think that's about how I relate AI to like writing. Like it's pretty close. It can do some things there, but it doesn't understand pH levels. There's something is not there. There's not there's that little bit of creativity that's just missing. Um, so I'm working with a. I'm writing a book with uh, a ghostwriter as well. I've, I've written about 10 books as a ghostwriter before I wrote my own book. That was kind of why I said, go find people to work for, develop your habits that way. 
But I'm working with a guy now who was kind of a luxury food importer in Las Vegas. He was the go-to guy for about 300 famous chefs in Las Vegas, right? So when I'm coming up with outlines, which are boring for me to write, I'll go to AI and we'll come up with five outlines that are very different. So I can come up with an idea, a loose idea, like how do we write a book about importing foods? And then I'll, and I'll expand upon that. It, it can write that out, but it can't go and take his story and turn it into something like I can. And we, and we have to work together on that. And even he can't, like he, he's, he's done interviews and a lot of content's out there, but like if you guys know as interviewers, the good questions come from like three or four questions deep before we really get into something. If I give you a Q&A, it's just surface level. We're not really getting to anything like that. To me to get to this, he's telling me about collecting Star Wars toys as a kid. And I'm understanding his perspective about not being wasteful later in life. And I don't, AI is not there yet to see things like that. Uh, actually, it's interesting because I was just thinking and, and I've been trying to put my finger on as well because I've been using it in a similar way. And my first thought was that it doesn't really sort of have, you know, it lacks a bit of a soul or something. But I think what it is, is, and it's what you just mentioned there, it's that connection. And it's that connection, Chris and I, you know, talk a lot about metaphor, you know, as, as a tool. And I don't think it has that metaphor because that metaphor often comes from that personal experience. And as you're saying, you know, you, you sort of yeah. link that him, him collecting those toys and then him being efficient later and, and not wasteful. And I think that's, that's the thing. It, I, I haven't actually asked it whether it can do something a metaphor, but because it's very factual, it doesn't seem to have that. And, and that metaphor is really where I think the richness comes from. Um, you know, yeah. it's like this because it, it's not saying it's like this. It's saying this is what it is. You know, it, I don't think it can say it's sort of like this because, you know, then it's failing in a way because it's supposed to be giving you the facts. So isn't, um, isn't the, yeah. Brock, it's interesting you mentioned it's like having an intern. Um yeah. Isn't the the issue that interns kind of get more experienced and you know they work their way up their career ladders and so on? And this particular intern is working its way up the ladder fast. And maybe by Christmas we won't be talking about an intern. We'll be talking about somebody that's as good as you. And then by the, the new year, suddenly we'll be dealing with the kind of the world's greatest greatest scriptwriter in in the Tarantino style or whatever. Do you worry about that in the future, or do you think it's always going to be an intern? I almost see it always as an intern. It is hard to, to go 10 years, 20 years down the line. But the thing is, it's always just going off the information that's already there, right? So whenever a, there's a shift in a movie, think about, and this goes back, the year 1999, like 25 amazing movies came out. The Matrix came out. The Sixth Sense came out. All these different movies, right? All of those were like a shift in the narrative of things we'd ever seen before. There was nothing like about 20 of those different movies that came out that year. Now, unfortunately, the studios have kind of pushed us in a direction where there's less interesting things happening. So it does still like, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I mean, AI could probably write Fast and Furious 10. I could probably, I mean, I could probably tell you what happens to that movie <laughs> on a bullet point and that AI could do the same thing. But it's not going to tell you about the Shawshank Redemption or, so, or something that really is going to stand the test of time to kill a mockingbird. And, there's something about the actual zeitgeist where we don't know it yet, right? So if you're only going with what's already existence, and sure, there are cycles and things like that, but I don't know, even even sharing things on social media, I don't really know what's going to hit. Like something just hit people differently a different way, and that's kind of a combination of, of algorithms plus people. Um, so it is, I just don't see it really 
embracing us that way. It could probably write passengers. It can probably write, you know, Hallmark rom-com, some of the rom-com movies. But whenever there's a big shift to the narrative, it's something completely different I've never seen before. And, and that, I'm guessing, leads back to your point about, I, I don't know if you used obsessions, but something that feels like something that's stuck in your eye, that AI will never get anything stuck in its eye. It will never have that kind of yeah. overriding desire to understand, to explore a particular topic yeah. and to effectively to, to learn new things about it in a way that the world doesn't doesn't understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing something pretty different right now. I'm actually working on my first documentary. So I'm trying to step into the film world. So I'm working on a... a, a what, what, what went from like a two-hour movie to an eight-hour series now? It's about stuntmen. It's called Daredevil Society. And the idea is about the last hundred years. So we're going from silent films... Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, all the way to Jackie Chan, to Keanu Reeves, to today. Now, for whatever reason, there's not there's not a lot of attention on that. And I kind of see screenwriters the same way. They're like the hidden people behind the movies, right? So all these things are happening. This is how film got started with silent films doing slapstick and falling. And Harold Lloyd's stuff is insane. And so is Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And there's still not an Oscar category for stunts. It's been a hundred years and then he's still completely overlooked. So what I'm doing is going through the whole evolution of how we change from silent films to talking to Westerns on horses, car chases, everything else. And also asking people how they do the things and everything else. And there is no collection like that right now. So I'm having to go do personal interviews. I'm finding what I can. There's really just kind of breadcrumbs there. I'm using AI a little bit to fill in some pieces and reading old books, but it's really, again, I kind of just see it as like a, another researcher helping me out. So that's the opportunity for human beings is to kind of, to, yeah. to kind of look for breadcrumbs. If, if, if no one's explored that before, it kind of, thank goodness, that means there isn't a yeah. machine that's all over it already. And, and that's yeah. what we need to do. I, I think that's a lovely, a lovely thought look for breadcrumbs. I find it amazing think, that there's yeah. no category. That's yeah, incredible. There's no category for Yeah, it is. That is absolutely mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah sorry, Brock. I, I talked over you. Um, I was just going to say that, yeah, I think just kind of add to what you guys are saying. But um, yeah, I'll let you go through it. One impact, again, this is another AI question. Is there a risk it's going to hamper our ability to do new stuff? Um, uh, let's, let's go with it. Can the idea that, that um, there's, there's nobody really investigating and celebrating stunt, stunt people. And yeah. um, that if AI becomes a sounding board or the kind of research tool for the world, what AI will say is that's because it's a bad idea and, you know, it's risky. We won't do that. Do, how, do you, how do you get new ideas through when there's the wisdom of AI? Yeah. I think people are going to do it anyway, right? So if I, I've, I've pitched plenty of book ideas that have been turned down, or I'm re- I'm funding this myself. I'm crowdfunding. I've raised about twenty thousand dollars so far. I'm just doing it, right? It's a big difference in pitching an idea, writing a spec script, and then just making a movie. Because then you can just say, "Here it is. This is done. This is what I've been working on." But I'm getting some like fan feedback and some stuff like that because I don't want to. I want to do justice to what I'm doing. I don't want to miss something kind of obvious, but. Yeah, if I just went to some AI and it asked me what to do, it would churn out more things that are popular. Like there's Asterius Chan, there's the Meg Tune coming out. It's just like, let's do Jaws, but 10 times bigger. I mean, those things are probably pretty obvious. They're going to keep happening. But the, at the same time, like Ben Affleck's company with Matt Damon that came out with Air, the story about Michael Jordan, as many points as it hits on, 
it wasn't studio funded. They funded the movie themselves. I think it's it's not called you know, it's maybe it's called Artists United. It's something like that. It's a new company, but they're doing a different model. They're not asking for money where the studios lose. They're making the movie and they're going to get a big bigger chunk on the back end. I'm doing the same thing. I actually worked with this. Uh, I interviewed these guys at the it's Robin Blocks company out of the UK. They do the same idea. They raise money through fans. They sell Blu-rays, DVDs. Then at the very end, they might go sell to a streamer. But they're making their money in their beginning. They're putting a lot of time and effort into something. Um, I think that's kind of the big difference. But movies have already gone to this very thin funnel of Marvel and big stuff like that. And yeah. the, the big stuff, people are just taking the chances anyway. I think that's going to keep happening. So it's it's down to people backing themselves <clears throat> excuse me people backing themselves it's and it's going to be down to kind of recognizing that the big studios are, are, are trying to make money and and therefore they'll go with what's predictable and safe and part of the formula um again that's that's has huge implications it's really interesting brock you mentioned earlier just in in passing when you're thinking about how you're using ai you mentioned the way a, a showrunner would run a writer's room is that what you yeah. what you said? So, yes, I just, yeah. what is what is that? I, I what does that look like? <laughs> sure, yeah. So, like, um, I have a lot of showrunners. Um, I'm publishing an interview in the next couple of days with Peter Gold, who ran Better Call Saul. Right, so he comes in. He's working with some other producers. They've got some big ideas of what's going to happen across, you know, a or what well, used to be 24 episodes. Now it's usually like eight or ten episodes. They bring writers in. So a lot of times you watch a show, you'll see the showrunner, the creator, usually writes the first episode, the last episode, and might write a couple more in there. But they bring in eight, eight new voices or whatever it is to fill up the writer's room. And they're pitching ideas. And then once they have a pretty good like series Bible, which is like a treatment or like a summary of what's going to happen, they send those episodes out and each writer will write one or two or you know some combination of that. Now, the showrunner still comes back in usually and rewrites all those, but they only get credit for one or two that they write completely through. So it's more about we work as a team to come up with the big ideas, and then we go individually write. So my perspective is I'm bouncing ideas off my running partner. We're messing with the, the AI just to kind of get some what could happen. And once we feel pretty good about some of those arcs, uh, then I'll go like write it myself. But I, again, I'm I'm just kind of eradicating the blank page and getting a treatment out there. I'm doing the same thing with this uh, this chef book. I, what I kind of pitched to him is like, uh, or this like cooking book, importing foods book. I'm like, let's use this AI. This is just the scaffolding. Like, ignore it for the most part. But the scaffolding is what is what publishers want to see too. They want to see this real obvious thing you're going to sell. My secret is I'm putting all of his perspective and interesting ideas kind of almost like hidden within the book that I really want them to learn X, Y, Z. Like, well, I want to walk away with this idea. And that's the human touch. It's just not anywhere else. Mm, mm. No, that's fantastic. Thanks for that insight. Do people, do writers like being in that, in that you know, in the, in the ball came of that writer's room? You know, is that is that a good thing for a writer? Yeah, I mean, it is sort of an apprenticeship. It's moving faster and faster. There used to be career writers like that. Now there's so many shows and so many networks. You might, like, I just interviewed a guy who uh, David West Reed wrote. He did a Broadway play. He wrote 28 episodes of a show called Shit's Creek, and now he's running his own show for Apple. It happens that quickly. Well, you're getting those accolades. Um, but, like, James Cameron does this. I, I didn't personally talk to him, but the magazine, Creative Screenwriting, that I write for, interviewed James Cameron. 
he brings in two or three writers, and that's how he writes his Avatar movies. She has the big idea. He works with them. They kind of go off, come out with chunks of it. That's how he's kind of he's going to churn out a couple of those in a row, I believe. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's fantastic. Thanks for that insight. Um, yeah. So uh, I wanted to switch topic a bit. We've been talking a lot about writing. Um, yeah. And Paul and I get away to the creativity across anything. A lot of time it's business people, actually, but it could be could be painters. Paul's, Paul's a quite a well-known painter. Um, um, or musicians or actors or how much of this applies across different kinds of creativity? Have you spoken to people outside of writing? And if so, what does that teach us? I feel like I've mostly, like, personally talked to people within writing. But as far as, like, setting up the habits and the time to do things, I think it, it really goes across the board with what you want to get better at. Um, and the other part of this is, like, you don't have to publish everything, right? It's a big thing to publish everything you do, but you can also hold that. You can be a painter who chips away at something, but it's still, like, I've got a friend who does, like, sketches with, with pencil and graphite and that type of thing, and he'll send 25 hours or one image and then maybe not even use it that's kind of what that's almost it's all discipline in itself but I also talk to writers who like okay they write 120 pages of a movie but they get to 100 pages like page 119 they're like oh this is what this is about they have to scrap the whole thing to move forward but I think if you can really push yourself to do that that's where you're going to get the gold from and it's like you're going to kind of discover who you are simply by writing as much as you can that's why i Eventually, Tom went, okay, I, I write about the same themes over and over and over, so I might as well just know that going in. But it took me, you know, probably five screenplays to understand that about myself. And I have that confidence to have a big trash can <laughs> and be ready to yeah. and be proud of it. It's kind of look, it yeah. got me that, that big, full trash can got me to the yeah. point of learning something new. To that's that's again, that takes huge bravery. Brock, I, I love that in all the conversation and sort of wandered around everywhere, a lot about AI. But you said that thing just then about, you know, eventually you discover, you know, who you are through that writing, mm-hmm. which, I, which I think is a, a great place to pull it to an end. I'm, you know, I have so many more questions, but unfortunately we're out of time. Uh, I'm, I'm just absolutely fascinated by your own uh, productivity uh, or productivity, as you guys call it. Um, in, 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 in basically, uh, you know, in all the different things you do and, you know, film and writing and, and interviewing people. So you're such a, a, a wealth of, um, uh, knowledge. So, well, thank you for sharing this, your insights and observations and experiences. It's been absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. The only thing I, I might summarize some of that, the only thing I might worry about with AI is how it is going to affect the future generations. I can imagine if I was 16 in high school that I could just go and drop in something in the computer. I'm hoping what they do is, is really make or encourage students to write more personal stories. I think that's one way to bypass some of that obvious stuff. And at the same time, is the old school, is the old type of one, three, one writing as important as it used to be? I don't think it is. I think that's not. I don't even think some of the grammar matters as much as it used to. It's like the way I write sales copies, not what I learned in high school. And I don't do anything now that existed when I was in high school. There wasn't podcasts. There wasn't this type of market. There wasn't this site. You know. <laughs> so I think just really being more, being going in, knowing you're going to be productive and creative, but also being flexible, I think is kind of the path to navigate all these waters. Mm. Look, I love that. Productive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Fantastic. 
Thanks, Rob. Thank, thank you so much. We've covered so much ground. I've learned so much. We'll get a big trash can by ink, by the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, so I'll, one more thing, too. I'm giving away the book for free, the book and audio books over at brockswinson.com. Anyone can go and just download that. You'll get the, the digital download and the audio book. My goal is to give away 100,000 copies this year. I've given away a couple thousand already. So we're, we're, we're well on our way to do that. Well, fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link in the, in the show notes. So that's fantastic. I'm going to get a copy. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> and me too. I'm definitely going to get a copy. <laughs> okay. Thank thanks, you, thanks, Rob. Thanks, you guys. Chris, that was fantastic. I didn't really know where it was going to go, but the conversation in AI, about AI, was really enlightening, which has earned its place in the AI miniseries. Yeah, I feel a little bit more optimistic about AI now. I mean, it's like an intern. I think I love that thought that you can work with AI. We've had other guests who are less optimistic about what AI will do to us, so that was powerful. But also about creativity, this idea of... of uh, having something in your eye, something you've got to pursue and and, and make your own. Um, I think that was a really interesting idea about how creativity works in the brain. Yeah, and look, I love his one bit of advice about if you're stuck and you can't stick to your own deadlines, jump onto something like, you know, freelancer and do a job for someone else where you're pushed to meet a deadline. I thought it was a great, a great um, insight and tip because I know that that's one of the things that I find really difficult is to stick to my own deadlines. So that was a great bit of advice. All the things that we've mentioned, or uh, Rock has mentioned, will be in the show notes. So you can find him and get a copy of his free book, which is so fantastic. Or head to his podcast, Creative Principles, which is certainly on Apple Podcasts, I'm sure all the major platforms as well. What a great guest. So uh, if you like the show, please leave us a review. Five stars if you can count that high. And, uh, and a review but most importantly tell your friends because it's as we share more about the idea of creativity in life and business the better the world will be and we'll see you for next week's show cheers bye for now